Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 338, Dr. Joe Rogan, MD. Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. Boys, how's it going? How was the weekend? Yeah, it was good. We saw each other a couple times. You know, it's always nice when some of the co-hosts of the podcast get to see each other in person. So that was that was pretty <laughs> enjoyable. Is this just going to be a goading until I just randomly one weekend fly pretty out much. just so I could say I've now seen you pretty guys? Much, yeah. Pretty much. But now, I mean, the person who had the more interesting weekend was you. How was the Breeders' Cup? What was that like? Yeah, Breeders' Cup was a lot of fun. It's very different than European racing, I think, for the worse. But it was good to see really high-quality horse racing and some really good races. Um, did pretty well on the day. Ended up kind of just a little over even, but won four races. So... To win four races on a day is always nice. Um, unfortunately, I had one big loss that kind of ruined most of the excitement. It would have been would have walked away with a really really nice day, but a one a one to five favorite on the track lost, which is discouraging. So. Yeah, that was interesting to see for me watching because the on track prices became a lot shorter for a lot of the favorites than the kind of UK market was at first. So, I mean, even uh, Gamin was, who I think went off at two to five, maybe, something like that. Two to five. Uh, yeah. Also yeah. lost. Which was yeah. the talking point, I guess, because obviously there's the controversy there that it seems to put in good performances when rigorous drug testing is not going on. And then when rigorous, <laughs> when rigorous drug testing is taking place, all of a sudden it's not that good of a horse. But And it is a Bob Baffert horse, for those who don't yes. know. <laughs> Where Eddie's definitely hinting towards. I was. I thought there were some enjoyable races. I watched pretty much everything on Saturday. I guess the thing that I found to be a little bit less interesting, and this is sometimes the sense I come away with with U.S. horse racing in general, is that a lot of races, if you're not up with the pace of the race, if you're not at the front, you you have no chance. You don't see anything come from off the pace. And it just makes racing less interesting to me. You can basically know as they come around and now in particular with Del Mar on the turf track, when they came around that final bend, it's so, it so short small. that you definitely had no chance. But even on other races, yeah. you kind of feel like, well, if my horse is five lengths back with a couple furlongs to go, it's over. Like you have to be up with the pace. Yeah. I find that a little bit less interesting just from an overall sporting enjoyment. Right. Is yeah, that just you, you like US racing generally though, right? Is the because in, in the UK when you've got like the all weather, I know it's slightly different, but you've got like going around Lingfield, they'll they'll like kind of fly on the outside and it's kind of exciting right up to the end. Is that just US racing generally? Like it doesn't matter about Del Mar, it could be anywhere. It's, it's a little bit of both. I think you see in the States, there's a lot of more front running horses that once they get the lead, they're so used to it and accustomed to it that they just never give up the lead. They go, there's a lot more like wire to wire in American horse racing. And I think that could be kind of bred into the horse a little bit, like the mentality, but 
they were saying that Del Mar makes Chester look like Ascot with how with how small it was. Like they, they were saying, like even horses who would go on Chester and be like, "Oh my God, it's so narrow, it's so tight." It was worse than that. So the, it's definitely a place where you need to be out in front. And look, it worked for some horses, and uh, you know that was one of the ones that I was more confident in was Golden Powell because Golden Powell raced and you know, it's a Wesley Ward horse and they love to shoot to the front, you know, and I had told someone there, even I said, you know, like every Wesley Ward horse I've ever seen just shoots right to the front. And this is a race where whatever one of his gets to the front, I would, I would really think that they're going to hold it. And Golden Powell just dominated that race. That was super impressive. I mean, he just bolted out and then just cruised home. So that was a pretty cool one to watch. Um, but there were some good horses coming late on to, to catch at the wire. Um, there were a few pretty exciting races, uh, like Yabir and the turf. That was pretty crazy. I have a, um, with Buick winning. Yeah, three on on the two days. No, I mean great weekend for Charlie Appleby. So overall, and Buick. yeah, I mean just wonderful weekend for him. I guess Yabir winning. It kind of it makes it a little bit tough for me to look at it as this Breeders' Club Classic and to try and think of it as being a really meaningful result. And then to see a horse like Yabir win, who's a good horse, but I wouldn't exactly say I think of, I put Yabir into any kind of top class discussion. So, and and the, the downside is it's the end of the season. It kind of falls into that category a little bit with Escort Champions Day, where there's a lot of horses who turn up, even though they know they don't really have much of a chance. I mean, you think basically every horse that was heavily involved in the arc, if they go there, they kind of know that they, their race may have already been run, but it does like Tonarwa who, who clearly looked yeah, gassed. But I, it does. Yes. It does. It, I do struggle to listen to the commentators talk about it as if this is some, Oh, Yabir now one of the greatest mile and a half horses in the world. It's, like, it's not though. If it, it, yeah. Well, the interesting thing with Yabir is, you know, you don't see it in England cause it's a gelding. So it can't run in all those group races, which is why it's been over in America most of this year, which was a, a point that a lot of, um, people like podcasts are listening to were saying, you know, it's tough to judge that horse because it doesn't, it can't race against the normal European competition because it's, it can't be entered. Um, so, you know, that was one of the ones that they said, you'll have to see, it'll probably stay in America and continue to race in America and see if it can, can do well there. But yeah, it, that, that race in particular was kind of disappointing. Um, you know, space blues one, that was good to see, you know, that, that's a high quality horse and finished up on top. Um, but that was, that was the really, I think that could have been the only turf result that was pretty strange. Um, the other one was uh, Love's Only You was the Japanese horse uh, with Love finishing fourth. But, uh, you know, a lot of people were really high on Love's Only You. It had good form, too. I mean, it was third in that uh, classic behind Mischief and um, in Dubai. So, you know, that's pretty solid form. But, yeah, it was it was it was fun. I mean. The dirt races are what kill you because you don't. I don't know enough about the American horses, and I have to trust what people tip, and it never usually works. So, <laughs> those are some of the tough ones. Culturally, how did you feel it was then from the just the overall experience on track? It's a mixed bag. Um, so here, I'll go through a few things. One, food and drink is outrageous. It was well, like expensive or fifteen dollars for a, a, a beer, a like. I wouldn't even call it a pint. I would just call it a plastic cup full of beer was $15. A can was 12. 
and you got like two or three more ounces in the draft. So when you mean um, a oh, mix, when you mean can you mean like a tall boy or like no, a thirty-three centiliter? I do not mean a tall boy. A thirty-three oh. centiliter standard. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. All right. Oh. Like a standard can, like a 12 pack. Like you'd go to the store and get a six or a 12 pack. Yeah. Not like the big four pack tall boys. No. A, so I figured in that case, I might as well go the mixed drink route. And I eventually found someone who had, cause we got there early at like 1030. So I eventually found someone who had champagne and I was like, all right, maybe I'll do like a mimosa or something like that. So the mimosa was $23. <laughs> That was the only that's one a, of those I got. The, that's a weird. That's a weird default drink to go to. But well, because there wasn't because ten thirty in the morning, and you know, obviously, like a Pims would be great. They don't have Pims, and the other drinks were like, "Do you want?" I mean, bloody, I hate Bloody Marys. That was the other big thing they were promoting. So at that point, it was like, "Do you want a whiskey and Coke at ten thirty in the morning, or do you want like a mimosa and like drop in some triple sec?" You know. But I will say it was a full small bottle of champagne so it was mostly champagne which for the value i think was a little better than the beer the other then option was a, a regular mixed drink was a double shot for 23 um, which was then kind of what i had like one or two of those but i mean how much can you drink without spending your entire betting allowance yeah. you know you have Six five drinks, drinks here. 200 euros yeah well 200 dollars. what about the food what kind of selections so, do you get so the food, they had the general like crap concession stand food if you wanted, you know, like the hot dogs, pretzels, things like that. But then they had more upscale things like you would see at Ascot. Um, so one was they had um, like a slow cooked tri-tip steak that they cut up and had like steak, real nice steak sandwiches. Uh, that's what we ended up getting. They had a really cool thing, which at the beginning of the day was neat, but towards the end got a little gross is they had a guy with a massive tuna. I mean, like a 200 pound tuna in front of him. And he was cutting it up like fresh and then putting it into like tuna poke or like sushi. And in, in, in the beginning of the day, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But then like four o'clock rolled around. You saw this guy cutting like the same fish. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know about this anymore. Just, just <laughs> looking above the stall and there's seagulls. Kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> But there was, you know, there was like um, artisanal homemade pizza, um, you know, like nice little food, like nicer food trucks. So those were those were decent. Um, the crowd is the strangest part because general admission is $100. So it's not a cheap ticket. That's the cheapest you can go is 100 Un The only thing I could think of is that if you get maybe a season pass to the Del Mar racing, you get one of those tickets because what you would see is you would see people, let's say race goers like us who think of it as a nice fun event, got dressed up, were in the mood, you know, excited. And then you had people that you would see on like a Wednesday in the betting shops in London. You, you know what I mean? Like I sent you guys pictures. There was people in Crocs in in gym shorts uh, there was a guy with like a sleeveless uh, like shirt, you know, just like a plain white sleeveless shirt. It was strange to me that there would be a like family of three or four that was no way really interested in the Breeders' Cup experience just there, but they were. So I didn't un fully understand that, you know, because I'd look at these people and I was t telling Krista, 
did that family just spend $500 to come here in a t-shirt and shorts and watch three races and kind of just leave? No way. I, no, I, I, think, I couldn't imagine that. To I be think you're probably right that they're either for people who have some sort of season pass. And I bet you otherwise, there's probably some membership schemes where if you're the kind of person who goes to some racing or people who are going to racing or casinos regularly are getting comped tickets of some sort. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that, yeah, there's these are not people spending $500 for their family to attend. It's probably more than the type of person who just goes to the racetrack every weekend and is either part of some club that is then getting them discounted tickets or, you know, there's something there that is making that more affordable. The the other thing I'll say is if we were to go, it would have been definitely feasible to kind of do what we do and round up. So they didn't have picnic tables. They just had benches. And when we got there, there was, you know, towards the furthest away from the finish line, there were still like over a dozen benches left, you know, and you could have just kind of corralled some of them up and taken them over. Uh, People are like hawk seats. As soon as you got up, they would like jump in and steal your seat once the races kind of were going. But I mean, we could have done something similar, except you can't bring in alcohol. So that kind of dampens it a little. The The only other thing I'll say that is, I mean, obviously I think is annoying with the American racing is no one bets really just a horse to win. So, but to me, it's difficult. I find I was putting on some exactas and trifectas with just a horse to win. But I feel like when you start betting like that, it takes away from just being able to watch the race and say, that's the horse I want to win and to get excited when it wins. Because all that happens is you yep. see the finish and you're like, okay, wait, I had the two. Where was that four? Where was the six? Oh, but was that the six? Was, did it cross? Yeah. Like, and it's like, this is too it's, much. Like, that's not fun. It's, it's not exciting. It, it's an insane amount of permutations. Like when we were at uh, Longchamp and you just hear these people in front of you saying, oh, I'll take six, four and three in a combination and then they do like four more combinations with six more different horses and it's kind of like so you've just taken the field in a multiple amount of ways and then by the end of it you're looking at all of your betting slips thinking like oh have any of them actually landed or where have i won it takes like 10 minutes for you to understand i think once you go above a forecast so just you know to the first and second in and if you want to do a reverse forecast, so in any order, I think once you go above that, you're then in a situation where the, comp- the complicated nature of your bet is going to reduce your ability to appreciate the race itself. Because it's just impossible to be watching most races and keeping an eye on the three horses. In a national hunt race, like a jumps race, that might be more doable because you have much more time to kind of process usually and you have a better sense of, okay, there's maybe only five horses involved in the finish, you know, going towards the final fence or something. You'd have a better sense of, okay, all three of mine are up there. I've got a chance. But in a flat race where in the final furlong to two furlongs, the race is really developing and you might have a mass of 15 horses and you're trying to pick out, okay, which order are they in? Oh no, the one I had second has just finished third. And so I haven't enjoyed the race as much. I think if you, if you do have any interest in enjoying the race for racing's sake, it's just it's just not the kind of bet you should be placing. Yeah, and, and I mean, other than that, it was it was fun. the The only issue was leaving. So we got there. We were originally going to take you can take the train from San Diego downtown up, and then there's a little shuttle bus that takes you over to the track. Um, but we didn't make the train time, so we like whatever. We'll just Uber, and it was thirty 
$4 to Uber to the track. So it wasn't that bad. It was worth it. Um, but then coming back, we bet the last race and I won the last race. So obviously I had to stay and cash out, which takes some time. And then it was just everyone exiting the track. How long does that take in the U.S.? To cash yeah. out? So the race ended and then I jumped in line and then five minutes after the race ended, it was official and then it moves through pretty quick. Okay, not too bad. It's not bad. No, it was quick. It's pretty quick. And and I guess you got a little lucky because it was a pretty straightforward race. It wasn't there wasn't a photo finish. There wasn't a controversy. Um, so we then shuffled out and I thought about just getting the train back, but I really wasn't sure of how it worked because we hadn't done it in the morning. and I didn't want to risk getting in the wrong line or getting the wrong shuttle to somewhere else, like not to the station. So I was like, screw it. Let's go to the rideshare area and Uber. And it was just pandemonium like imagine royal ascot like as people were funneling into the train except now they're funneled into like a little holding outdoor holding cell and then trying to call ubers and lifts it was out of control you're trying to leave any major sporting event or concert and thinking you're going to get an uber that never goes well yeah no. we got one in in 25 it's minutes which was pretty good Oh, so we when were... you said when you said rideshare, is it the case that they all funnel into this one area and then just randomly get assigned shares? No, so, so it was like basically it was they had six lanes and they were labeled A, B, C, D, E with fifteen spots in each lane. And what they would do is they would let all the Ubers come in, fill up all the lanes, then they would stop the Ubers from coming in and then open literally open the gates like like their animals and let the humans out to get to the cars that they had, you know? So for instance, if you had your Uber, they would say like, I'm at spot a 12 and then you would let out and they would all get them, get in the cars. They would wait 10 minutes for everyone to get in, then let all the cars go out and then replace them and then do the process over. But no one was told any of this. And I mean, I was, I wasn't that, I wasn't really drunk at all. I was pretty sober. So I understood what was going on, but there's people literally jumping the dividers, just running out. And they're like, no, we'll call you. We'll call you. But my Uber is right there. And they're like, we know, like, just give us a minute. But no one was being told. It was chaos, just straight chaos. People were walking up just with hundred dollar bills, just asking Ubers, you know, to, to take them. It was, it was a mess. There was three, we saw three accidents with people like Ubers trying to pull out with other Ubers just rear-ending them. A guy got out and just threw up all over his Uber. That was a pretty good one. And then <laughs> demanded to get back in the Uber. <laughs> he then demanded you, to get back would, in the Uber. Would you do it? I mean, if you were offered like a $100 Uber driver, you would just cancel the trip, right? And take the $100. I mean, like, no. It feels like... The, tri you could get in the trip was 50 alone. Yeah. And you can get in trouble for yeah. it. I mean, I'm sure you're going to have to pay a penalty fine. You're going to have to like pay a fee because of you canceling a ride. Your rating gets hurt. On top of it, you have no idea who this person is. So, from a security standpoint, you've just allowed someone into your car for a. There's no insurance coverage at that point if you then get into an accident. Like, no. But in, I will say, in that time of us getting to the Uber and getting the Uber, I saw 
Bobby Flay <laughs> walked by us with his family and everyone was like, hey, Bobby. And he was like waving as he was like getting into his private limo and just giving us all the finger probably. Um, I saw two of the ITV announcers uh, were getting into limos like right next to us. And then um, the owners of the Japanese horse, only because the guy had on a crazy hat. I remember it was like a bright red velvet hat. Purple. Yeah, okay, yeah, purple, purple hat. Sorry, hat. yeah, yeah. Hit, they all they were all leaving, so it was pretty funny. You got to see like all these other people leaving in private limos to the side, and then just like animals, people being hoarded into these little spots for the. I mean, I guess the, the argument there. there would be, if you plan that better and you know it, how much does it cost to get a limo? And probably not much. Yeah, so more, not much. Yeah. More. So and especially if they're then three or four of you, that's probably just. If you're going in the future, you're like, let's just book limos because that's going to be way more straightforward yeah. than, than anything else. For sure. But overall, I think it was it was fun. The, the only downside we've talked about this a little bit is it's just a long day. So it's uh, it starts at race four and it goes to race 11 or 12. So there's there's a lot of races and you kind of have to get there early to begin with. And the races aren't every 30 minutes, they're every 40 minutes. And then the last one is, I think, 50 minutes in between. So it's, you know, it's, it gets, it starts to add up after a while. You know, we were, we were at the track for eight hours. Yeah. And if you're not in a group, but definitely would do it and again. If you're not winning, and if you're not with a bunch of people who really enjoy horse racing, it's a long day. People, other people tend to, tire of the experience after a couple of hours and i, I mean that just in every time you're with people who said yeah. like i get it now i've seen horses i i've done this i've had i've seen four or five races i get it i'm i'm betting a couple bucks a race i'm not going to win millions i don't really know why can't we just go to a normal bar at this point and not spend this amount of, on drinks <laughs> and not but no that sounds like fun that's better I've already told you each of you kind of separately, but I guess my only story from the weekend, I had a, had a real standoff on Friday. I was in my office. I, uh, I went to go into the bathroom and had a, a colleague of mine. I started to hear, have a conversation outside and I really didn't want to speak to them at the time. So I decided that I would just do the easiest thing, which was to just sit in there and wait for them to leave. And I proceeded to be stuck in the bathroom then for 55 minutes while I waited for them to go. It felt like I was in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> as I just sat there waiting and I was trying to process like, obviously the longer I waited, the worse it got because whilst they- How did you know they were I still there? Them talking. Because so to give you the image, this is not like- So could they hear you shitting? No, I wasn't doing it. <laughs> the whole point is- <laughs> Did you have to then fake, fake shitting? Yeah, no, I mean, really just upset, awful. Oh, Eddie's still going. How do you know? I can hear him. <laughs> Yeah, you've just got this opposite like tennis match yeah. of conversation going. But no, they hadn't seen me enter. And then basically there's a situation. These are not like stalls. This is them in a hallway and me in the bathroom that feeds onto that hallway. And there is a coffee machine directly outside. So they were just using the coffee machine and standing there. But yeah, I mean, I was willing at that point to miss meetings. I got to the point where I realized there was a meeting coming up in sort of 15 minutes. And in my mind at that moment, had I made the decision that I was not losing this game of chicken under any circumstances. So if I was going to have to message people and say, for some reason, I cannot attend this meeting, I was going to have to do that. 
so you didn't think to join on your mobile and just say ignore the background noise <laughs> well it was an in-person meeting so that would have been a little bit tough oh that would have been yeah. awkward <laughs> yeah. so you obviously did this for like 55 minutes or whatever it was like was there a point like 10 minutes in where you were like do I commit? Did you have like checkpoints where you were like, do I leave? I now? think the 10 minutes, the 10 or... minute point was the moment when I realized just, it was going to be really awkward if I came out, if from that point on, if I came out, it was going to lead to some weird looks as to, oh my God, you've been in the bathroom for a long time. So, especially cause they hadn't seen me go in. Right. So they just stood there for 10 minutes and then seen me leave. So then they had to think to themselves, how long was he even in there before we got here? So certainly once it got to like the 20, 30 minute mark, there was, there was no way I was leaving. Like that was, that was my day. If they were willing to, if they were just going to have coffee for the rest of the afternoon, I was just going to sit in the bathroom for until, you know, seven, eight o'clock on Friday night. What Did was you your have phone battery at? You? Yeah, I was going to say, did you have anything with you, like a battery charger or? No, I was. I mean, it's fifty-five minutes, guys. My phone's not that. No, no, my phone was all right. I was, I was charged enough that that was not a risk. So, did you have headphones? Yes. So I. Oh, that's clutch. I, I wasn't. I that's wasn't clutch. using them because I <laughs> needed to listen because I was. I was really trying to make sure because what I didn't want to risk was a second group come. So I needed to know as soon as there was silence and I knew people were gone, I had to leave. So why why do people congregate outside your bathroom? Why is that the meeting? Because it's where the coffee machine is. <laughs> it's just that simple. Why is the coffee machine right by the bathroom That's door? Nice and, that doesn't nice sound and sanitary. <laughs> nice and hygienic. Just people walking out using the coffee machine. It's a very good question. When people walk out and they still got the water on their hands and they're like flicking their hands in the air, just getting oh, it into the coffee. That's pots. even the worst part. The, <laughs> but the soap dispenser in the men's bathroom doesn't work. So on top of it too, you get to make it. And, and once you realize that you get to make a real judgment of people who come out because they have two options. They can either then go into the women's bathroom to get soap, which is what most people do. Or... I don't know why this still bothers me. There are, you know, there's obviously hand sanitizer in the hallway. So you can go and give yourself just some hand sanitizer and clean your hands. That still kind of bothers me. Well, Sam, what's your story of the weekend? <laughs> I, I tell you what, I don't really have one. I've just been in, I've been in Paris for the weekend. The only thing I've realized is that I got surprised today that apparently Paris flats don't need smoke detectors. That's not true. <laughs> so, this one doesn't. Well, it doesn't need is not the same as doesn't have. Legally, they're required to have them. <laughs> so legally, they're required. Okay. Ah, see, there we go. Yeah. Okay. So this one doesn't. You have, should have both a and it smoke detector have. and a gas detector. Both of those should be required in your apartment. Does uh, does France have the smell in the gas, so you can smell it? Um, you can definitely smell it when there's a gas leak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sure. You, you, I mean, it's a that's, but yeah, you have to still, that's one of my favorite like ideas everyone ever had to put was to add that smell, to make gas smell. Yeah. Gas doesn't your, smell naturally. They add that your, smell in. So that way you can detect it. That's an awesome idea. Like what a great idea. But your favorite 
like that's your favorite idea i mean i think that's a pretty ingenious idea uh, you know how many times that's probably saved someone's life <laughs> sam what's your favorite idea you're being very critical of frank's favorite idea here what's your favorite yeah i'm just saying i'm just saying that's a pretty fun, great like, invention I, I don't know it's like fun like candy floss that's a fun hold idea. on <laughs> you're saying that candy floss so you're... was a better idea than something that saves people's lives no no i'm not saying it's better i'm saying it's a fun oh, he didn't idea. say this is <laughs> this is he says it's a fun idea he said it's... he didn't say it was a fun idea <laughs> man now speaking of original ideas maybe we can transition on to a sporting topic we obviously covered Aaron Rodgers' vaccination status and his COVID positive test. He, you know, because he doesn't have a major platform and there's no way for him to express himself without mainstream, should I say lamestream media, just shutting him up and, and changing the narrative. Woke media. Yeah, he went on the Pat McAfee podcast, which he makes an appearance on, I think, every Tuesday anyway, and used that as an opportunity to explain his position. Frank, obviously, I think you will have heard most, if not all, of that conversation. Sam, you probably haven't, but we've got some audio here. Now, the initial bit of audio I'm about to play for you is how Aaron Rodgers decided to start the conversation, which I think we could just summarize before it goes. He just played conservative anti-vaxxer bingo for around 50 seconds. Yeah, wait, before you play it, I, I just want to stress, Sam, this is the opening thing he says. Like, it's, hey, Aaron, welcome to the show. And then this is what he jumps right into. I realize I'm in the crosshairs of the woke mob right now. So before my final nail gets put in my cancel culture uh, casket, I think I'd like to set the record straight on so many of the uh, blatant lies that are out there about myself right now. Um and I appreciate the opportunity to tell my side of the story on here. First of all, I didn't lie in the initial press conference. Uh, during that time, it was a very, uh, you know, witch hunt uh, that was going on across the league where everybody in the media was so concerned about who was vaccinated and who wasn't and what that meant and who was being selfish and who would talk about it and what it meant if they said it's a personal decision. They should, shouldn't have to disclose their own uh, medical information or whatnot. And at the time... My plan was to say that I've been immunized. Um, it wasn't uh, some sort of ruse or lie. It was the truth. And I'll get into the whole immunization in, in a second. But uh, had there been a follow-up to my statement that I've been immunized, I would have responded. Nothing is better than that for me. Nothing is better than not telling the whole truth and flipping it on the other person. If you'd asked a better question, you would have gotten the full answer. I love that as a move. I mean, wasn't so the question, wasn't so the question, Trump. have you, are you vaccinated? Yes. And he said, I'm immunized. I'm immunized. Yeah. So I love the idea of saying the plan was to say I'm immunized as well. Like, so but it wasn't a ruse. Scenario. It wasn't a ruse. It was a plan. Yeah, it's not a ruse. When you get asked a yes or no question, it's not a ruse to respond with a completely different phrasing instead of saying yes or but no. Also, That's 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 insane no, you're an if, idiot for answering a yes or no question with a yes he, or no if you go back to how he actually answered the original question he gets asked if he's vaccinated and he actually says yes i'm immunized he actually says yes first so 
he kind of answers the yes and no and then gives a vague additional bit of detail which he thinks then has qualified his answer to a greater degree i just love that the idea of hey i didn't lie i know people have me in a press conference saying clearly misleading information but i didn't lie but i want to address all these blatant lies that are out there about me it's like hold on hold on here you've lied you've been caught in it and now your responses and just the throwing in woke cancel culture witch hunt i mean it, it's just it's appealing to an audience who actually don't care at all about the substance of what he's saying they just they, he's hitting all of the keywords to satisfy them and to get them on his side regardless of what it is he's actually done yep. which it worked i saw so many people with facebook posts supporting aaron Rodgers for supporting him for i don't even know what they're supporting him for you know, like that's the crazy part. But anyway, the question, what bothered me from that was clearly the Pat McAfee show has the audio and the video from the original interview. And at that point, they could have done some sort of journalistic integrity move and said, well, here's what you said originally. But because Pat McAfee is the biggest ass kisser in the planet, and obviously doesn't want to lose his biggest guess of the Tuesday Aaron Rodgers. He just completely lets it go as if, you know, like, come on. If Aaron Rodgers told us he was going to come on the podcast every Tuesday, and then we probably don't challenge him. So, you know, there's, there is a reality there that I do understand. But you are right that he is choosing this as the only platform where he is going to express himself. And, I mean, Pat McAfee opened it up by thanking him multiple times for coming on and saying, oh, it's great that you come on every Tuesday, you give people access into all these insights that they otherwise wouldn't have. And, you know, it's so great to have you on. Oh, oh, Aaron, it's so great to have you on. It's really so great to have you on. And now please explain your position on this really controversial topic. Obviously, you're not going to be challenged very much by us. So I do, I agree with you. It's a shame. It would have been nice to have a bit of integrity and maybe push back a little bit, but at the same time, I'm not going to be hypocritical if we had an NFL player who was consistently coming on every week. And as a result, our podcast was growing at a rapid rate that it otherwise would not have. We maybe don't ask the same hard hitting questions that we think we would. So there's a reality there, but do we want to move on to the second quote where he then explained the logic behind his statement? I, that was going to be my point. Yeah, I'd like to hear like how the immunization versus vaccination is a thing. I'm not, uh, you know, some sort of anti-vax flat earther. Um, I am somebody who's a critical thinker. Uh, you guys know me. I marched to the beat of my own drum. I consulted with a now good friend of mine, Joe Rogan, after he got COVID. And I've been doing a lot of the stuff that he recommended. In his podcasts, I've been taking monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin C and D, HCQ. I believe strongly in bodily autonomy and the ability to make choices for your body, not to have to acquiesce to some woke culture or crazed, you know, group of individuals who say you have to do something. The great MLK said that you have a moral obligation to object to unjust rules and rules that make no sense. I remember learning that quote when I was a kid 
when my my history teacher first social studies teacher first told me the great mlk once said dude i remember that he he started all of his speeches like that Dude, I have a dream that one day all of those little dudes and dudettes. <laughs> yeah, I love, I mean, there's so much wrong with that statement, but the idea that like a group of individuals, like you don't have to listen to them. It's like the governments of the world and the World Health Organization are just groups of individuals in this scenario. It's crazy, like what they can get away with in saying what they have. It's dangerous. See, now, now, now my biggest takeaway was his recommendations from Dr. Joe yeah. Rogan. That's who he goes to. This is a guy yeah. who has access to probably the top doctors in the entire Well, let's world. be real. He does at, at any Actually, phone call. Here's, he can here's get. what I want to say. He doesn't. He doesn't when it comes to I'm really but like the leading immunologists working on, you know, when it comes to this pandemic are not picking up Aaron Rodgers' phone call. Now, does he have access? Oh, I I bet you he could go to University of Wisconsin, find the top immunologist researcher there, and they would be more than flattered no, to help out Aaron Rodgers and give him 10 minutes of advice. It, yeah. No, Come no, on. No. This guy hosted Jeopardy. No, no. But here's the thing is, I actually want to kill that logic that he could have access to the top medical researchers in any particular field if he wanted to. He could undoubtedly have access to a lot of people who would be very well informed. But it's not as if... The way the, I mean, you know, from your scientific research, it's not as if you're on the bet, you're in the beck and call of every celebrity who wants to call you up and go, hey, uh, I just want to have some more information. I know you're the leading researcher in this. Can I just waste 15 minutes of your time? I mean, you'd probably be flattered the first. If Aaron Rodgers wanted 15 minutes of my time, I would gladly. You give see it my going. point, though. He undoubtedly really? has access to a lot of. And and this actually but, bothers me. Okay, let's just say he has access to very good doctors. Sure. And, How about that? And this is what bothers me. It's because at first, you know, a week ago when he spoke about it, he talked about submitting some 50 pages worth of research to the NFL that he and his medical team had done. So for that, now I'm sure he actually did that. But for, yes, the fact that he marches to the beat of his own drum and he's not some sheeple, he just gets his advice from the most popular podcaster in the world. I mean, how does that make you an independent thinker? I don't understand. It's just, I, I don't no, know. But I mean, what's the independent thinking about it. the fact that, it, oh no, in, in the person I listened to wasn't someone with a qualified degree or any experience. It was just a really, really famous, popular person. Oh, what an independent thinker you are. I like how, I like how some of the things he takes as well, like zinc, vitamin D is like, I'm pretty sure they're pretty healthy requirements anyway. Like, I'm not sure they're going to but also, change but, much or challenge much about your But body. also the thing I find difficult there is when Joe Rogan spoke out about the drugs and the things that he had taken, he was specifically talking about having tested positive for COVID and what he took in order to minimize the effects of the virus. He didn't speak about, now he has, sell, he has come out and said he himself is not vaccinated, but he wasn't speaking about it from the standpoint of that he was somehow immunized. He was just saying, hey, look, I've... No, I I think Rogers was saying once he tested no, positive, he reached out no, to Rogan. Right, but my point is the, 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 the discussion here isn't really about, hey, Aaron, how are you recovering from your positive COVID test? Oh, the yeah, yeah, is, okay, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. You're immunized, right? 
why aren't you vaccinated? And so his question, his answer to that is, oh, you know how I'm immunized because I found the best course of treatment to take once you test positive. It's like, well, that has nothing to do with being immunized. You know, that's, and those are two very different discussions and you've moved on very swiftly from your original statement to being, hey, I did a lot of research to figure out how I could best deal with my positive test. So I mean, just overall, it's really painful. He is, again, he's just playing this kind of conservative bingo and saying woke and cancel culture and saying independent thinker as if that's somehow, I mean, I just want to know, does Aaron Rodgers do this for every bit of medical advice he's been given over the course of his career? Every time someone in the Green Bay Packers medical team gives him a painkiller, does he say, hey, I'm not going to take this just now. I've marched to the beat of my own drum. I'm going to go away and do several weeks of research and see who I can find. And if I prefer their advice, I'm going to do it. If he's that consistent, I'm fine with it. But if he has gone through. So you can imagine that with like an ankle injury when he's like, look, I was immunized against ankle injuries. Now I've got an ankle injury. What I'm doing is I spoke to this random guy and he told me about all this stuff for an ankle injury. And none of these like stupid individuals of woke culture and the media can tell me about this ankle injury. It's like, you know what? If you do that, fine. But you can't really pick and choose of which this is. Hey, Joe Rogan, did you ever sprain an ankle? But that would make more <laughs> How did you recover see, from that it? That would make more sense because at least Joe Rogan is someone who was a reasonably successful athlete at one point in his life and has dedicated so much of his life to fitness. So if you want to get advice from Joe Rogan on how to recover from an ankle injury, I'd actually be okay with that because I'm going to guess that Joe Rogan has had ankle injuries and has a pretty good understanding of the course of treatment that you can have to deal with an ankle sprain. But he's never done any significant research into a virus. This is the issue. And so this independent research, it's just, hey, can I Google something, watch some YouTube videos? That's your independent research. As if the people out there actually doing research are part of some larger conspiracy theory. I also hate that he kind of took a shot at Kyrie Irving there because Kyrie Irving, who's obviously been super... Flat yeah, earther. That's a, that's a direct shot at Kyrie. <laughs> what did that happen? I'm not that it? dumb. I'm not that dumb like <laughs> yeah. Kyrie the flat earther. Kyrie Ir- Irving previously had said that the world was flat, but he then backtracked and basically said he was, he was showing how the kind of uh, certain statements... Showing how dumb he certain, is. <laughs> certain statements travel faster than others. This is his claim. Um, but yeah, that's a direct. What a good and, and, and also this witch hunt. What witch hunt is he talking about? All of these very openly unvaccinated quarterbacks. Yeah, they got some criticism, but they're all playing. Kirk Cousins is playing every weekend. Lamar Jackson's playing every weekend. Josh Allen's playing every weekend. And no, no one's, one's saying anything about it. No one's bothering them or witch hunting because them. Because they at least had the integrity. <laughs> no one's trying to burn no, them at the stake. <laughs> they had the integrity to say, hey, I'm not going to get vaccinated. As a result of that, they got a little bit of flack with people questioning whether or not they knew they were making an informed or correct decision. And from that moment on, we kind of moved on. It's like, well, if you're going to follow the protocols, fine. But Aaron Rodgers didn't want that criticism, and then also didn't follow all of the protocols. And then now, I mean, he really wants his cake and to eat it too. It's just so dumb. Now, I I don't know if you heard Tom Brady's response to Aaron Rodgers' issue, because he then was on, uh, he does the NFL Network, I think Tuesdays or something with Larry Fitzgerald. And I don't know, he meant it to be kind of like a tongue-in-cheek joke, 
but he basically said, who am I to tell anybody what they can and can't put in their bodies? <laughs> and like, I don't know if he meant it, but then like, all I could think about was like the crazy shit he does for TV 12. And I think he kind of, we was saying it a little bit as a joke because he, he chuckled a little to it. So I thought that was kind of funny from him. <laughs> but then also again, and I agree with you, but the difference is Tom Brady tells you what to put in your body based on what he thinks can help you be feel good, be in good shape, have your body be flexible and supple, whatever adjectives he wants to use for the things that helps him be the most efficient quarterback out there. He gets to speak about that from a degree, a high degree of experience. He puts in a lot of effort. He is performing as a you know, professional athlete in one of the most challenging positions in any sport in the world in his mid-40s. So if, if Tom Brady wants to sit down and go, hey, these are the ways a lot of people can improve their diet because I've been able to maintain my own physical fitness well beyond most people would have thought to be my physical prime, I'll listen to that. Whether or not I think some of it's stupid, like when he's telling you not to eat strawberries, that's another thing altogether. But he's not telling you, oh, hey, you have cancer? Well, I'm Tom Brady and I've won multiple Super Bowls. And here's how you can deal with your cancer. Like, there's a huge difference there. If Aaron Rodgers wants to give me advice on how to stay in shape, I'll listen to him all day long. I just don't want to listen to him talk about how I can prepare my body to deal with a virus. But based off of what he listened to on a Joe Rogan podcast, that no, no, they're good friends. To. I'm sure Joe Rogan gave him some additional okay. advice. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I mean it's. Now, I guess we can move on a little bit. When we went into this weekend, it was a weekend of NFL upsets. Just, I mean, a crazy weekend in terms of what happened in terms in, from a results perspective. Maybe as the starting point, last week I, I spoke to you about the Manning cast curse. And we then discussed the idea that the Duca curse and the Manning cast curse were about to combine and that maybe Josh Allen should just sit this week out because he was the quarterback that made the appearance on Monday Night Football a week ago. It looks like Josh Allen kind of took our advice and sat the week out, but he did actually walk onto the field. Well, depends which Josh Allen, right? Because Jaguars linebacker had a great yes. time. But the Josh yes. Allen yeah. for the Buffalo Bills who appeared on Monday Night Football. That Manning cast curse at this point. I'm not going to say it's a real thing because I don't really believe in curses, but it is an impressive sequence of events yeah so so for those who don't know kind of what eddie's running through is every week the manning cast has their monday night football on espn2 and they bring in nfl players who either already played or aren't playing usually that week and talk to them so in week one they talked to russell wilson and then they lost to the titans next week he also talked to travis kelsey that week they then lost to the ravens that week and that was that 36-35 loss with the fumble that probably might have actually changed the Chiefs' season had they won that game. Who knows? Then next week was Rob Gronkowski. They then lost to the Rams, one of the only losses for the Bucks. Then the next week was Matthew Stafford. They then lost to the Cardinals. That's their only loss, right? Or no, no, because they've now lost to the Titans. Um, and then they didn't do it for a while, and then they came back in week seven and talked to Tom Brady who then lost 36-27 to the Saints. 
And then in week eight, they talked to Josh Allen. And the following week, he lost to the Jaguars nine to six. I saw that was the 10th largest upset in NFL history against the spread as well. Yeah, and like the um, third the third highest since 2000 yeah. or something like that. Or like the fourth highest on the road since like 1966. Like it was a, it was a crazy, like Eddie's mentioned, it was a crazy week of um, upsets. Yeah, no, I mean, and obviously we spend a lot of time talking about survivor pools. I know, Frank, didn't go well for you. The Bills were your selection. In general, this is a weekend that just ripped through most survivor pools. I mean, there were a lot of what on paper looked like incredibly safe picks that took people out. And a few more people who will have survived a couple, you know, you if you might have had the Ravens, for example, and thought that was like the smart pick of the week. And you only got through that by the skin of your teeth. So yeah, just across the board on that Sunday, just absolute carnage. So my my survivor pool had a hundred and forty contestants left and ours is a little different than other ones in in that you can pick the same team week to week so it's not a one and done survivor pool it went from 140 ish people it is now down to seven people in one week that is the largest cut i've ever seen in a survivor pool and the teams that won for people who are still in it were the kansas city chiefs the baltimore ravens and the pittsburgh steelers so even so they could have all lost. Yes. There was a chance everyone. that the survivor pool would have picked back up because everyone, hundred and forty people, would have lost to the same. I, mean, week. I guess and the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, I took the Bills. I, I took the Bills and you know, I lost. And I sat and thought a little bit as to was there another team I could have talked myself into you know like did i make the stupid pick was it the wrong pick and i mean the only team i maybe maybe could have talked myself into which is a stretch because i don't think they're that good is the patriots just because the patriots versus sam darnold and sam darnold is atrocious against them and it was my bet of the week they were in my bet of the week so i obviously i mean i'm not faking that i was very confident in them but would I take the Patriots, which are a mediocre team, against a Panthers team that may or may not have Christian McCaffrey back? Or do you take the Buffalo Bills, one of the best teams in the NFL, against the Jaguars? And on top of that, tell me the Jaguars score under 10 points. I mean, I think that's, <laughs> you know, that's like, the other thing. I, I, I think I took the right thing. No, I look, I think <laughs> with the format of your, obviously my survivor pick was the Dolphins. I've yet to use the Bills, but that's because I'm trying to save the Bills for to the back end of the season, you know, and in the sense, not that I thought they were going to lose the Jags, that strategy is paying off and that these teams are getting killed off. And now I'm in a strong position on paper of having these teams, but I may get knocked out in the future when the Bills have another awful weekend. I think they're actually going to be my selection this weekend. But yeah, I mean, look, I think they were the heaviest favorite of the weekend. If you told yourself, if you could, could have gone into the future and the only bit of information you were told is the Jags had only scored nine points. I mean, there's just no way you don't take the bills. It's inconceivable that this offense at times has looked like an absolute powerhouse. And I mean, we discussed it in talking and previewing the game last Thursday. Yes. A week ago, they were three, three for a while. 
but it's just hard to imagine them going through four quarters where they don't kick into gear at some point, and then, then there's going to be a quarter, a quarter with 14 to 21 points all of a sudden. And I mean, Sam and I were watching the game together, and as I was watching it, that was kind of what I was expecting. I was like, yeah, this is funny. The Bills are in a struggle here, but you know, that midway through the third, you start to think, yeah, but at some point they're just going to have three drives in a row, and all of a sudden this is going to be you know, 24-6, and they're going to cover the spread. And then, I mean, I also remember, I think it was to Sam saying the only moment you started, I started to doubt that a little bit was when it was suddenly in the fourth quarter. And then you can kind of see how there's a momentum shift maybe in the, from you have a bad first half, but a good second half. But suddenly when you start to have three bad quarters, why is the switch going to suddenly flick on your final two or three possessions? That's when it started to become, uh-oh, they're in real trouble. But I mean, it's a... Urban Meyer's first win as NFL head coach in, in, in the USA. So congratulations to him. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. He's not. I mean, the the thing is, like, do you start doubting Josh Allen? Like, two pretty bum weeks against the Dolphins no. and Jaguars now. Like, do you start no. doubting him? I mean, he's still... His stats have come down a little bit. What was it? Like, to, just under to earth six... from last year six yards an attempt in those two games or just under like 5.7 or something like that. It was like, so you, so you're not doubting him. Like uh, I, mean, I guess, it, I, I guess it, and... what do you mean by doubting? Well, as in, you know, a couple of games in, we started telling the chiefs when they kept doing this, like if the dolphins have a third game where it's a similar poor stats for Allen, like, are you, are you doubting the bills kind of credentials, credentials to do what? Win the Super Bowl? Yep. If they had a third week in a row where they have, yeah, okay, if they have six points this weekend or nine points, then then maybe you start to think it's a trend and not a blip. But the reality is, you know, over the course of this season, their offense has looked really, really good. And then you can flip it and say that their defense still looks pretty good, which was actually one of the areas I doubted them coming into this season. So I'm, look, I think doubting as in, can I rule out that they have an absolute stinker one in a round of the playoffs now? Probably not. Like if they're down three to 14 at halftime against a team, then you probably would start to think, I don't know if I can guarantee that this offense is going to get going at some point over the course of this game. I think that becomes a legitimate concern, but no, I don't think their season is going to go totally off the rails. They're still going to win that division. I know Patriots fans are getting really, really excited and starting to look at it and think maybe we're going to win still think the Bills are going to win the division. I still think that they'll, at the very least, make the AFC championship game. Yeah. For, for me, no, I'm not doubting them at all. Um, we can get into the Patriots later, but when we previewed uh, the week's uh, uh, last podcast, I said that this is a must-win for the Patriots because there's a chance they don't win more than two to three games the rest of this season. Their schedule is stacked. And that's not to say that in the same sense, they kind of control their own destiny because they play the Bills still twice. They haven't played the Bills yet once. Um, you know, they play a lot of high caliber teams. So if they are that good, this is their chance to prove it. But I don't think they are. And I think they're going to end up, you know, with the 500 record at best. But I don't doubt the Bills. I think they're good. I think what we're seeing here is every team is kind of doing this. Uh, you know, look at the Cowboys. They, I think they put up an even worse performance against the Broncos. Um, so, you know, it's another team that, we thought couldn't 
you couldn't stop them from scoring and they weren't able to score at all really. So the, the difficult part for me was you guys were at least able to watch the bills struggle. I had to listen to it on the radio and I had to listen to the Jaguars feed of the game. Oh, so I listened to most of the third and fourth I'll, quarter. I'll, I'll say this, Frank, the, we were in a bar that obviously it was primarily red zone. We saw very little of that game because obviously it was nine, six. So nothing. nothing going on. Yeah. If anything, it was Bengals Browns that we saw the most yeah. of kind of in that side of things. Well, let me tell you, the Jaguars might not have a good roster on the field and that trickles its way up to the press conference <laughs> and the press boxes because their announcers were <laughs> something special. But the frustrating part was every dri- the last four drives they had, they would hit a 20 to 30 yard play. And even the announcers would go, uh-oh, here come the Bills. Oh, Allen to Diggs for 25 yards, and now they're in Jaguar territory. Oh, here we go. Here they come. And then it would just be stall every time, every drive. So it was so annoying to have to listen to these announcers feel that they're going to lose to kind of give you the hope that like, all oh, these announcers know what's coming. And then they'd go ballistic when Josh Allen would get sacked by Josh Allen, oh. you know, and then that was so, it. So, I mean, I'll say it was kind of the same on my end though. So obviously it wasn't getting much red zone coverage. I was following the game just on my phone. And so I was either flicking between the kind of ESPN play by play or just on bet three, six, five, looking at what the odds were and the odds did the same thing every drive, which it would be, They'd start their drive and it was like Bills minus 3.5 in the fourth quarter. And then Bills minus 4.5, Bills minus 5.5, Bills minus 6.5, Bills minus 7.5, Bills minus 1.5. Like this is what drive after drive had. And then then there was the moment where suddenly Jags minus 1.5. Yeah, I mean, just not a good performance, but it was a weekend. In a sense, I think the Bills probably saved from a lot of the level of scrutiny that they might have had in the past, just off the basis that the Rams had a really bad weekend. Uh, the Cowboys had a really bad weekend. In some respects, I don't even know if the Bills kind of had the worst of it because at least some part of their game was good. I mean, to me, the Cowboys is the more concerning one because they couldn't stop uh, the Broncos to save their lives, and their offense also looked awful. And there was a team that, for me, I've got a lot more question marks around than I do over the Bills. So for them, that was more concerning. Yeah, I mean, surprising ones all around, right? What was it, seven of the 12 were underdogs that won the game, but there was different reasons. So you had, like, the Cowboys couldn't do anything against the Broncos. We've obviously spoken about the Bills, but then you had teams that kind of lost their star players that then performed really well. So you had the Titans, like, uh, having a defense against the Rams or the Rams doing nothing. Then you had kind of the Cardinals putting up a good performance with Murray, without Murray, uh, with AJ Green, without anyone, really. Um, the Titans one was impressive for me because when you look, they won their last five and uh, who's it against? Like the Colts, the Chiefs, the Bills. The Ravens. Like, they played good teams. No, they've they, they, they beaten the Ravens, some legitimate like, teams. They've gone through what on paper looked like a very difficult schedule and they've come away with a lot of wins. And yet I still remain unconvinced as to what their future looks like without their star player. But I mean... It's a very, it's a statement win from them that their season is not over. Now, I think their ceiling just has been significantly reduced is the issue. But yeah, that was good. I'll get it out of the way. The Niners were awful. 
Jimmy Garoppolo was awful. Niners Nation. <laughs> awful. Giving it to you straight here on Niners Nation. <laughs> we can't actually. <laughs> there is a thing called Niners Nation. We cannot actually just hijack there. <laughs> but um, no, nah, I mean awful. And Jimmy Garoppolo, that was one of the most frustrating quarterback performances I've ever watched. Uh, Sam and I were discussing at one moment, and Sam was like, but statistically, it doesn't look that bad. He was like, yeah, because it's all... 28 for 40, 326, two TDs. <laughs> statistically, and I said, I said to Sam, the stat line at the end of the game is going to look okay. But it was, he misses wide open receivers. It's all screens and check downs and hitting people on slants. Whenever you, if you've got them third and 12, I think the biggest frustrating thing, and I can't move on from this now, he is the reverse of almost every good quarterback in the NFL, which is the more time he has in the pocket, the worse the outcome is. I actually, they need to get pressure on him, allow pressure to get to him instantly, because basically, when he's moving through his progressions, he is unable to go from one receiver to the next. First of all, he just stares down the receiver that he's going to go to. So, I mean, if you're on the defense, you must know from the line of scrimmage, oh, this one's going to Kittle. Because his eyes never leave the receiver he wants to throw to first. Second of all, he's just unable to work through that. So even when you see him suddenly getting three or four seconds in the pocket, it's not as if he's able to look at the field and see where people are getting open. And he is clearly often making his mind up, which is why I guess the only time he's kind of efficient is on things like screens, because that is a very predetermined decision of we're not, there's no alternative here. I have to go with the screen. I have to hit the running back coming out in the flat. I don't have a choice because this play is just purely designed for this. And if, it, like I got no options, but I mean, it, there's moments he's just throwing. He, he he's obviously made his mind up. This is this is going to Kittle. Come rain or shine on this play, I don't. If Kittle can be in triple coverage, and he's just throwing that thing in Kittle's direction and hoping that his receiver makes a good play, it is incredibly frustrating. That was an awful performance. I mean, just awful to lose to Colt McCoy at home. That's just awful. Posted pretty good stats himself, didn't he, Colt McCoy? But I mean, the thing with the 49ers, right? They're only one spot outside of the. Oh, that's the worst thing. They're probably going to make the playoffs. They're probably going to win out of the playoffs, right? And then they play. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're three and five. They're three and five. I think they will make the playoffs. No, they haven't won their division against the Rams. They're 0 3 in their division. No, no, no! They're playing the Rams yeah. next. Well, week. they're going to lose then. Oh, so okay, so they'll be three and six. Okay, we'll we'll do the, We'll run it through. There's no way they're going to win. Okay, let's run through it. Let's run through it. Okay, go ahead. We're spending so much time on a three-win team here, a trash garbage team. And then they play the Jags. What is it? Okay, a w- maybe a win. No, that is a win. I'll give you a win. I'll give they you then win. play the Vikings, which I think they'll lose, but, Loss. but it's impossible to know with the Vikings. They then play the Seahawks. The question here is, will Russell Wilson be back? Because that's December And 6th. OBJ. <laughs> if Russell Wilson isn't back, that's a win. So we've now got them two uh, I'll give you a win. You okay. have two wins. They then play the Bengals. Probably a loss, but loss. Which, which version of the Bengals are turning up? They then play the Falcons. I'd say that's a win. Mm, Falcons are hot. They then... <laughs> 
Oh, I'll give you a win. Okay. Okay, so three. Wait, wait, wait. You're gonna <laughs> oh, rip on you're rip on the Falcons who have four wins. The Falcons are four and four. They have a better record than the Niners already. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> ripping on them. I'm just saying I think that the Niners will beat them. I'm not, I'm not like I'm not trying to roast the, the Falcons right now. I'm just saying I think the Niners beat them. They then play the Titans. Now loss. probably a loss, but loss. Stop. Loss. Okay. They then play the Texans. <laughs> That's a win. Okay. They then play the Rams in the final game of the season, which the interesting thing would be here, do the Rams have anything to play for? That might be a great time to have their second game of the season against the Rams because they could just be sitting everyone. Because depending on... That's a... No, but... Maybe, but the way the Cardinals are playing, though, too. Yeah, but we have to see... I mean, that's that's a big swing. Because, because right... The, the first seed now is the only one that gets a buy. I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying there's a possibility that they're either they have the number one seed locked up or they have another team has a number one seed locked up and they've got nothing, no reason to play that they know going into that game where the two seed or the three seed or the whatever it is, there is every chance that you are playing against a Rams second string there. So, I mean, like in their, what is that, seven remaining games? It's not inconceivable for me that they go four and three. Eight. Eight remaining games? No. Nine. Nine remaining games. Nine remaining games. Nine. So they could go five and four from those nine games. And I think that that might get them into the playoffs with how just congested the NFC is. I think you're looking at a seven and ten team. I'm not saying they're good. Don't get me wrong. I'm just telling you. I don't want them to make the playoffs. I don't want – I mean, they got no first-rounder, so it doesn't really matter from a pick standpoint. I do not want to watch the Niners just get absolutely demolished in the opening weekend of the NFL playoffs. Wild card weekend at the moment has the prospect of the Niners being what the Texans have been in years past, of just they're turning up and you're like, oh, they're going to lose by 25 points, but we got to go through this. Now, Eddie, the Titans have the five-game win streak, which is the longest in the NFL currently. Do you know who sits at second in win streaks in the NFL right now? Um, so I was trying to think of, I mean, uh, trying to think. So the Packers just lost. The Cardinals lost two weeks ago. Ste- Steelers? It could be the Steelers. My five and three Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Who are definitely making the playoffs. Who I do not think will make the playoffs. I am going to say the Steelers end up with seven wins this season. This is the op. They're doing the same thing that happened last year. You think they're only going to win? Go ahead. Their schedule is brutal. Brutal might be a stretch. So they play the Lions this week. That's a win. That's that's a win. Brutal. Brutal. They then play the Chargers. Are we sure the Chargers are that good? Loss. Okay. I mean, at Cincinnati. Loss. Ravens. Loss. At Minnesota. Loss. Titans. Loss. At Arrowhead. Loss. Cleveland. Loss. At Ravens. Loss. So, I don't know why you're convinced that the Chargers and the Bengals are still really good, even though they've put in pretty bad performance. I mean, those are two teams who I've had massive reservations over for their meetings. The Bengals are in a major question mark moment at this point, where... Which version of them do you believe in? Because they have had two atrocious performances in a row. 
and the concerns that you had coming into the season about, for example, their inability to protect Burrow and just how you, I mean, you don't think that TJ Watt is watching all of the game tape of recent Cincinnati Bengals games and thinking, I might get nine sacks. Hey, at least the Bengals score. You seem to be okay with the Bills with two losses. <laughs> they didn't get blown out. I love when we gag up on Eddie with like outrageous claims. <laughs> <laughs> and he takes the bait. But, also, you, but, <laughs> but look, I, okay, let I, me give you. I want to give you a realistic question. I'll give you a realistic question. Yeah. Who wins the AFC North? So Baltimore right now is six and two. Steelers are five and three. Browns are five and four, and the Bengals are five and four. The Ravens win. I mean, the Ravens. Does anyone? How many make the playoffs out of that division? Three. I think that I think the Browns, the Steelers, and the uh, Ravens, Ravens are all making the playoffs. I think. I think, and I'm, I'm. This isn't me trying to push Sam's buttons. This isn't me trying to make some. They have a hot take. I think the Bengals are done. I think. They had their nice sequence of performances. I think we're, I think we're maybe overreacting a little bit to their performance against the Ravens. So I actually think it's the reverse, where their standout performance kind of lasts in your mind a little bit more how good they were in that one game. But I think the reality is the problems that they had coming into the season are very obvious now, and I just can't see, given how strong that division is. I'm not saying that they're a terrible team, but given how strong that division is, I think they're going to lose a lot more games than they win. Well, I mean, the interesting thing about the AFC, right, is you've got the AFC West, where all of them are above 500 at the moment. So there's a lot of people. um, Sam, there's only two teams in the AFC under 500 in the entire AFC. Yeah, it's it's insane. (laughs) Because they all beat each other. What is that? Jaguars, Texans, or... That's crazy. The, uh, the no, and the Dolphins and the Jets. Oh, yeah. Okay, four, and the Dolphins. four teams. That's it in the AFC. I think under five hundred. I mean, they just they all beat each other and they all get a few wins and they all beat the odd NFC team. But it's, I mean, look, maybe they all, all four of them could make the playoffs. I'm not going to rule that out. I just think, and I want to see one more Browns performance before I decide that ridding themselves of OBJ was enough to fix all of their problems, even though we know statistically when you do break it down, Baker Mayfield is way better without him and their offense is way better without him. And that's not just in this game. It's it's insane. It's like every time he's not on the field, they are I mean his Baker Mayfield's QBR without OBJ is like thirty five points higher. So yeah. it's it's, it's crazy. not. I know a lot of people are trying to make it out as if people are reacting to the single performance against the Bengals, but it's not. It's years of when has OBJ been injured? When has he not been on the field for a play? And you can look through all of it and just know they're a better team without him. And that's including the year that OBJ had a thousand yards. I mean, it's it's not as if he hadn't had any good seasons with the Browns. He started off. He had a good season initially with the Browns that first year. I think it was. So even with those year those games, Baker Mayfield and the Browns as a whole are significantly better in every statistical category with him off the field. But yeah, I, I, and I, I, we'll I, see where he lands up and ruins next. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to see with the Browns. This will be an interesting test this weekend. Browns Patriots. Obviously, this isn't the we the episode where we do our predictions, but 
Browns Patriots will be an interesting test of both of those teams. Where do we stand a little bit? And has this Browns team got over a hump? Is this Patriots team kind of legit? We'll know a lot more. I say we know a lot more. The nature of this season is every time we start to feel as if we know something, something happens and then we feel like we don't. So the only team really, in a sense, that's offered any real consistency is the Packers, minus week one and minus this weekend without Aaron Rodgers. I mean, in some respects, they are the team I feel most confident about, which is a shame because I really, 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 really do not want Aaron Rodgers to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I guess that wrapped up a uh, an eventful weekend in the NFL. It was... Uh, I'll just give an update because my survivor pool just came in. There are only 80 people left in my survivor now. Wow. You're We're in it now. Now it begins. Now, now the real challenge begins. 80 people from the original. I can't wait to get paid and never see you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well over 50% of the remaining entries went out last weekend. And again, a bunch of people, the next most popular picks that made it through, the Steelers were the second most positive popular. So they've kind of got lucky on that game. I mean, I guess we haven't discussed that at all. A lot of people are trying to imply that that game is fixed. And a lot of, I mean, we spoke about this at the beginning of the season with just the, the rise in popularity of gambling in the U.S., that you're opening yourselves up to this possibility that games will be fixed in the future. I don't think it was a fixed. I think it was just some questionable officiating. I think the call that got the most attention, which is the taunting penalty on a third down stop late in the game, I kind of think it was taunting. I don't think it's the softest taunting call we're going to get all week, all, all season. Ooh, Eddie, this is one we agree on. It was 150% a taunting penalty according to the rules. Is it a soft rule? Yes. Has that been said a million times already? Yes. But was it taunting? 100% a taunting penalty. He sacks the quarterback does like a jump flying kick in the air celebration, which was fine. And then instead of walking towards his sideline, he takes 10 steps towards the Steelers sideline, stops, puffs his chest out and stares at the entire sideline. That is the definition of a taunt. When you are getting into someone's face or like confronting someone, that is exactly what the penalty is. He was taunting the entire sideline. There's no need for him to walk towards them, stare them down, and puff his chest out. He was, also, Penalty, he, 100%. He was also saying stuff. And what I thought was interesting in the common announcers, commentators, whatever you want to call them, in the coverage of the game, they reacted to it. And like, he's not taunting the punter. Like, this was their reaction to it. He's talking to the sideline. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the Steelers' sideline. Yeah. It's not as if the Steelers, he's, he's, yeah. he's talking to his own sideline. You can't get calls for taunting. It's not as if you can only taunt the punter. Like he's made a big play, and then yeah, he's he's the one making big statement. I mean, to me, it looks it's yeah. it, he didn't taunt a punter. He just called Mike Tomlin a little pussy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that? And the only thing that then bails him out is the ref, the official 
kind of sticking out his butt to initiate contact as he goes by. So him. weird. Yeah. Very strange. He basically like slightly grinded him and then threw a flag. The, the the phrase of the player saying he was hip checked is a bit of an exaggeration because if you try and make that a hip check in the NHL, you're not making it for far in the National Hockey And League. I also he can't be bailed out. The official was already going for the flag, so those people trying to say as if the flag was as a result of the contact made to him, and that was he was already reaching for the flag. And yeah, it's weird that he sticks his butt out in the direction. I would say he definitely. It was like the asshole move in the bar where you like kind of want to bump someone, but you don't really want like anything to start. Yeah. So you're kind of like leaving yourself there. You know that they're going to walk into you, but you're going to still be able to say, yeah, I didn't do anything. He was doing that move, which is petulant and he should get suspended for a week because it's a bad look. It's not a good look from an official, but at the same time he was already reaching for his flag. The flag was for the taunting and he definitely taunted the Steelers sideline. I mean, the, the the worst was just the the amount of calls the Bears had against them versus the Steelers. I think at one point it was 11 penalties for 120 yards versus two for 10 for the Steelers. It was a very drastic difference. And Justin Fields had complained several times that Big Ben got two or three roughing the passer calls and Fields wasn't getting any and he was getting hit pretty hard back there. There was um, there was a sequence but, where Justin Fields got hit three times in a row after he released the ball. It wasn't a great look. I will say on the third time, if anyone wants to tell me that NFL players don't flop or dive, whichever word you want to use for it, go and look at Justin Fields who gets hit and then honestly lays down like a starfish as if he's just died and kind of moves around for a second, holds that for a few seconds in the hope that a late flag's going to come purely on the basis of an official seeing him down on the ground and deciding, "Uh oh, I better throw a flag. But yeah, I mean, who cares really? They're two not very good teams. It's not like the Bears were all of a sudden going to make the playoffs. The the outcome of that game is going to be inconsequential when it comes to the end of this season. And that doesn't mean that, look, if it's some larger conspiracy, that's not a good thing. And the overall quality of officiating over the course of this NFL season has not been good. So that this was not the only game where we've seen bad officiating. Now, quickly, we very rarely talk about the NBA until we get to the playoffs. Did you see Jokic absolutely demolishing Morris at the end of the Nuggets game yesterday? I did, I did and I will say the the headlines I was seeing of it being absolutely vicious blindside, it, it was a very bad look. Extremely vicious is a bit of an NBA overstatement. He pushed him in the back with his shoulder, he shoulder and the him. guy fell like a sack of potatoes. He shoulder barged him. He shoulder barged him. Hard. With seven seconds earlier, the guy pretty much did the same thing yeah. to his chest and shoulder pushed him and Jokic just kind of stood there and took it. And this guy f- flopped six, six feet across the, the, uh, I mean, the, the big, arena there. That the was a bad look, right? It was a bad look. The bad look is when but, you see the slow-mo, he does get a proper like whiplash because obviously he doesn't know it's coming, but I do think it is one of those moments where it really reveals the NBA hold me back culture and fights. Jokic just demolishes a teammate. Yeah. And then stands there, and a yeah. bunch of the teammates all rush around, but don't do anything. And then you have Jimmy Butler once everyone's being separated, 
yelling like meet me out 40 feet away meet me outside like let's go sort this out i do love though like so that happens jimmy butler is one of the first ones there in that surrounding part where they're all kind of yelling and screaming at each other doesn't really say much there but then once he's yoga just sitting on the bench and Butler's on the other side, on the other bench. Then he's screaming at him that he'll like kick his ass and to come outside and let's take this outside and finish this. Where was that when you were two feet from him? Right oh. there. You could have you could have finished it right there on the court. Well, like you had your chance. I don't know if he could have finished it, but he could have he could have started. He could have done, done something. He could have, in the very least, even if you just given him a little push. I mean, Jokic just stood there like a zombie. Like Jokic can clearly he's he's seen red right he's annoyed because they're up by 17 it's a dirty play he's reacted to it he's unhappy you can tell that Jokic instantly has gone like oh i've messed up because he just stands there yeah you can tell he's okay. he, he's immediately back down to being not calm but he knows he doesn't want he's not looking for some huge brawl the miami players yeah all rush around no one touches him he just stands there like a statue and then eventually he just walks over and sits down kind of calmly while everything gets the decision as to whether or not he's being ejected is being made and all that. And then, yeah, you, when you have a hundred people between you and 40 feet, it's the equivalent of someone doing something you do in a bar, not saying anything until they get kicked out. And then when you have the wall and some windows and some bouncers between you, suddenly talking a big game and being like, Oh, I'll fuck you up. It's like you didn't say that when you were face to face two minutes ago. Yeah, it, and um, for like the Spit and Chicklets podcast, they always say like when when NHL players do it, it's like their wires have crossed and they kind of just go like black out. That's kind of what he did. He got cheap shotted. His wires cross. He just <laughs> demolishes him from behind, and then it kind of just comes back into focus, and you you see the realization of him being. Ah oh, shit! I just had a really dirty play because even in his post game conference, he even doesn't blatantly admit it, but he almost comes out directly and says, "Like, yeah, I cheap shot it. I'm yeah. like, I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. That was definitely a cheap shot. It was dirty." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but now is it always makes me laugh. The hold me back. Either talk a big game or don't. Like at some point, you gotta you gotta do it. Go up and smack him. <laughs> Big tree fall hard. Yeah. And look, I give you credit. <laughs> Calmer heads prevailing. I'm not encouraging massive brawls to break out in the middle of professional sporting events. So calmer heads prevailing is for the best of the sport and the best of the league and the best example to be sent to kids. So what it, how that ended up being handled is the good way. It's just don't try and pretend meet me outside. Why? Because you're going to stab him outside the stadium? Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, I mean, I get, yeah, what's I the guess if it's game, a Raiders yeah. player, I might have taken it differently. <laughs> but, I'll just drive really fast no, down. More, this is more a reference. No, he's talking about Arnett. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I know the update. Who, just one or the other. Who picked up four different guns throughout his house and told a person on, was it TikTok, that he would kill yes. them? <laughs> Five minutes away? With four different weapons. Yeah. yeah. No, um... I liked not not a joking no, matter, it's not. but it, it's the just only thing that made it's just outrageous. The, only, the video itself is just it's, outrageous. It's and from a guy who's had several problems already in a very short NFL career, he has two ongoing lawsuits 
one for a car crash that he was responsible for, which obviously not on a rug scale, more of a fender bender, and also for spitting on a valet, I think, outside of a... Ooh, it wasn't a fender bender. Well, you know what I mean. He totaled the other car. I know, I know but obviously in the context of car crashes we've seen Raiders players involved in yes. over the past few days. Don't want to make it out that he was also, that it was... But I liked that you had the statement from the Raiders GM, which was, this was a difficult decision, but unfortunately we've had to release him. What was the difficult decision? The guy has picked up multiple weapons over the course yeah. of a video and threatened <laughs> to kill a guy on multiple occasions. It's, I would It's like if he had only picked up three guns, you know, like, no, we'll keep him. You know, he's clearly not following through with the threat before. Right? Yeah, and look, if the video had just been him insulting a random guy on the internet and saying oh you're five minutes away come to my house and i'll kill you okay you don't get you shouldn't get cut for that it's stupid and you should get a talking to from hey like let's think about our image here particularly in the context of recent events with the raiders but the fact that he's just walking through, i mean those guns are just it's not like he's planned this video out right he's not it's not choreographed he's just like walking a couple steps here's another gun walking a couple more steps and here's another gun it's like so is he just his house is just littered with with like guns throughout the day at all times i can't help but feel like if you were gonna rob him now you know where multiple guns are and i feel like it's going to be more of a benefit for the attacker sam the i just want to say i'm not robbing that guy <laughs> Sam, I think you've watched too many Jason Bourne movies to think you can strategically outmaneuver four different guns if you know where they are on the premise. What's that? What's that? Uh, the Equalizer. The account. You know, the Equalizer. That video, the one with Denzel Washington, where he always like stops his, like starts his watch before he gets into a fight, you know, and he's like timing it to see how long it takes. I just imagine that Sam is just outside the window getting ready to burst in. Starts, starts his this gun this AK fifteen seconds. Yeah, he started like plotting out his mind. You see the kind of beautiful mind moment where he's tracking all the numbers and stuff and trying to work it out, and then starts it, kicks in the door, immediately shot, just done. Yeah, just, just all the numbers like planned it perfectly. Kicking the door, just legs go through. The yeah, door. I'm, I'm, I was shot I'll the make leg. This clear, I did not see that video and think well, that looks like a guy I want to rob. That was the opposite. <laughs> that guy's exposed himself now. <laughs> not, not that I'm going to say that guns are a real deterrent for house invasions and RVs, mother, but in this instance, they were for me. But uh... So that th these past few weeks have brought up the question, was taking this franchise to Las Vegas a bad move? Doesn't look or would have this happened in Oakland regardless? So certain aspects of this could have definitely happened in Oakland, right? It's not as if they moved from the safest area of the United States to Las Vegas, but definitely when you talk about a city in which people staying out late, drinking too much, partying too hard, you've, you've created, you've put people into the probably the worst possible environment. The temptation levels there to misbehave are so high. And yeah, you can do that in any city, but definitely the whole sort of ethos of Vegas, the reason it exists is for people to make bad decisions. And so putting young people with lots of money in that environment, so people who are 
very likely to make bad decisions, it's not, it's probably not the best place. But I mean, like, let's not pretend. There have been people in playing for NFL, NFL franchises all over the place doing pretty awful things and ruining the reputa reputation of themselves and the league for years and years and years. So it's not as if up until this moment, NFL players were super well behaved and it's only because there's a team in Vegas that bad things have started to happen. Now, one final talking point, maybe. A weekend of sackings in the Premier League. I think only one of them deserves any real attention, which is uh, at Norwich, where Daniel Farkey, I'm, I'm never entirely certain on how you're supposed to. No, you got it. You got it. Was sacked after they finally won a match. I don't know. <laughs> the idea that they could go through this horrifically long winless slash losing streak and then the breaking point was them actually winning a match is so bizarre to me. Whether the agreement there, who knows? I don't know. I'd be interested to see if any more details come out. Maybe there was some sort of agreement of we don't want you to leave with having had with this sort of losing streak on your resume. We're going to give you a chance to get this win and then let's part ways because this is clearly not working. And that maybe is a semi-decent thing to do on behalf of the Norwich ownership. It's just a very, very weird thing that finally they've won a game. An important one, too, against Brentford, a team who are being dragged back into the relegation fight. So you could say that Norwich kind of had a glimmer of hope, and then you said, see ya. Yeah, it's um, it's a strange time to do it, unless they already organized someone very quickly, but they probably already would have hired them by now if they already knew who was taking the race. The other, the other argument you can make is it's the international break now. So if you are going to do go through a change of manager, it is also very good timing because there's no match. It gives you a little bit of time to sort out all those details. Players are away. So if a manager comes in next weekend, you'll get all the players. I mean, not that Norwich are exactly littered with internationals, but they still have their fair share. It will allow you to prepare for that next match a little bit better than you would if you sacked them on a Saturday and you have another match on the Wednesday. Yeah, and there's also with the with the managers that have been sacked recently. There's not that feeling that there's going to be this kind of roulette between them, right? You know, like Munez at Watford, Bruce, Santo or Nuno, like Farke. It doesn't feel like they're just going to go to the other clubs. You know, like Newcastle have already signed Eddie Howe, who wasn't attached to a club. Villa are already talking about. I think Roberto Martinez has already been considered, as well as Gerard. So it, it doesn't feel like it's just a manager roulette going on. It feels like different people coming from abroad, et cetera. I mean, I hate to say but it, but I don't know what Norwich are the team that should be looking at someone like Steve Bruce or Sam Allardyce. That's who they need. They need someone who can come in and really yeah, like a keep them up, ride the ship, and get them to back to basics. As much as that football is painful to watch, as someone who supported a club and went through the Sam Allardyce experience, it's not fun, but it is effective. And if you're a Norwich team that has not been doing the little things right, maybe you bring them in at least to just really, if they are going to go down either way. I mean, this is always a challenge. Doesn't Allardyce usually put that in his clauses anyway, that he basically goes if they are relegated? He does, but at the same time, he doesn't want to sign a nine-month contract. 
So it's a little bit of you put yourself in a at the at the whim of the manager of does Allardyce then look at the landscape and think I'm not going to get a job anywhere else. So I do think it's tough. You're and if you're the Norwich owners, do you think we're, we're going down? So are we better off trying to find a manager who we want for the next three years and not someone we're going to take for the next six months? What do you think of um, the Gerrard scenario with Villa? Because a lot of people have put him as a kind of long-term replacement for um, Klopp at Liverpool. But simultaneously, people are saying, well, you need to do something else before Liverpool. Is Villa the right kind of job? Or is it really just continuing to be, well, potentially dominant at Rangers and just continue to do what they're doing? No, you've got to prove yourself in the Premier League. We've seen with Frank Lampard recently. You've got to prove yourself in the Premier League because, I mean, he's doing a very good job at Rangers, but he's almost... It's impossible to imagine him, in some respects, doing a better job. He's kind of already done as much good as he can do for his CV with Rangers. So you want to see someone come to the Premier League and deal with a different type of challenge. And then, yeah, it's much too early for him to be considered. We saw that with Lampard. I don't know. What's your... You've not used the word feeling at all, really, this podcast, Sam. What's your uh, What's your feeling about that? Have you got the soundbite lined up? What's your take? I mean, maybe I do. What's my take? Okay. Well, we'll find out in editing, won't we? Um, I agree with you. I think uh, I think the jump is too big. Uh, look at Solskjaer as well, right? From like it doesn't kind work of if you don't say feeling, Sam. I have a feeling. That... <laughs> <laughs> I hate being like so obviously goaded and you know it's coming. And yet still be like, damn, it's happened. <laughs> I like that so much. <laughs> That's pretty good. Well, it's pretty good. Um, no, it, it's too much of a jump. Like you look at like Solskjaer's example from like, what is it? Cardiff, Mulder to Man U. And I feel like that's too much of a jump. Gerard with what Rangers then go into Liverpool, considering their scenario, is too much of a jump. I, he needs to do something else to justify it. The Frank Lampard example is a good one as well. Yeah, it's it's not. I I just think, what is it like? Five managers have been sacked, or like it's almost like a quarter of the Premier League now has gone in like the last like two weeks or something like that. And and let's be honest, a lot of them were the, to use the worst term, like the dead weight of sorts. Like they never looked like they were going to be comfortable long-term managers at their respective clubs. I guess Nuno well, is the obvious. Yeah, the, Sp- the, Sp- the Spurs one is the surprising one. I don't think any of the, the others were surprising. Like Dean Smith is like, mm, well, okay, 2018 is actually probably, it feels like he's been there too long. Like almost got some kind of brownie points from bringing them up from struggling in the championship to where they are now. But no, no, no. For me, it, it's too soon with Gerard, and he needs to go somewhere else. And I actually think Villa's the perfect one do it in the Premier League, do it well, do it consistent, and um, do it with a bit of money, in a way. See what you do in the transfer market, see what you do with money, see what you do with like a potential policy to go like international. I've got a little non-sports related topic. I don't know if you saw, but Arby's, who's got the meats, now apparently has the alcohol. They are set to release in Arby's vodka. It is a French fry flavored vodka. Two flavors. 
they're curly fry and crinkle fry vodka. Wait, you can buy this by the bottle, or do you buy it as like a, a vodka no, tonic? No, you buy the bottle <laughs> for sixty dollars is the retail price of the bottle. I'm I'm really trying to wrap my head around the appeal there. I think it's just a publicity stunt. It has to be. I mean, right? I I can't imagine. I honestly think this is going to take off. People are really stupid. I mean, is it like you get involved because you know it's probably going to end pretty quickly? You get a bottle of it, 20 years' time you sell it, and you get money? It's is, it, it, oh, it's yeah, a collector's thing? is it a collector's thing? <laughs> yeah, 20 years from now, that's going to be worth a lot of money. It's an 80-proof potato-based vodka that's infused with crinkle and curly fry flavor. So Arby's fans can enjoy our menu from bag to bottle. Or maybe even the bottle in a bag. Curly fry. <laughs> just curly fries floating in the vodka. Like it's just hard. Spice. It's hard for me to imagine the the taste of a fry of any sort being strong enough to to really influence the taste of vodka, if you see what I mean. Like flavored vodkas for the most part, they one of two things either happens. Either it's a very faint flavor, usually or you've significantly weakened the vodka to just have a nicer taste. Those are kind of the only two ways you can go. And it's difficult for me to imagine a relatively strong vodka that then has a very... It's just going to taste as if you just ate fries and now you're doing a shot of vodka. And that's basically what... (laughs) You can do this yourself. Just go to a bar, order a plate of fries... Stick a couple in your mouth, chew them really quickly, and then down a shot of vodka, and that's probably better than the experience you're going to get from this. Maybe that's how it's it was invented as well at sixty dollars. <laughs> well, wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, that's maybe our great friends at Arby's can send us over a bottle to try, and we can review it on the podcast. I'll push for it. We'll see. We'll see. We might have some interesting news coming in the future regarding some sponsorship, but Arby's is not one of them. <laughs> we don't. We don't got the meats <laughs> for sandwiches. Yeah, not yet. All right. Well, I guess with that, I'll uh, talk to you boys next podcast to hear your picks for Week Ten of the NFL. See ya. Cheerio. <laughs>